0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for October 11th, 2019. In this week's episode, getting ready for Catalina, Hackintoshing your old Mac, what's changed in iTunes, and AirPods as hearing aids. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's Chief Security Analyst, Josh Long.
1: So, if you listened to last week's episode, you know that while we were recording, we discovered that Apple had released the Golden Master of macOS Catalina. The Golden Master is the final version of prior to the actual shipping version. Now, last week, we actually recorded two episodes because our producer is away this week. And so we were recording an episode in advance, which you'll hear in just a second, to talk about um, preparing for installing macOS Catalina. And here it is Monday, and Apple surprised us by releasing the public version of Catalina just four days after the Golden Master.
2: Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. Usually Apple tends to wait a little longer, give you maybe like 10 days or somewhere around there. But uh, yeah, this this time, just actually kind of similar to what Apple did with uh, iOS 13. They just put it out there as fast as they could, and then uh, presumably what we'll see is some point one, you know, some minor uh, releases with bug fixes and security fixes and things uh, within the, the coming weeks.
1: Yeah, I've been uh, finalizing a manuscript for my book that used to be called Take Control of iTunes. And the new edition will be called Take Control of Mac OS Media Apps because iTunes doesn't exist anymore. It's been split into four apps. And I've been noticing as I've been finalizing that even in the Golden Master, there are things that are wrong. There are texts that are wrong. There are some things that don't work correctly. So I would expect maybe not a dot one today, but a dot oh .01 or tomorrow or pretty quickly. One One thing that I did note is people on Twitter were saying that the build number of the The public release today is not the same as the build number of the Golden Master. When you go to the Apple menu about this Mac, um, you see the version number of an operating system. And if you click it, you also see a build number, which is the sort of minor version of the version. And there is a difference. So I'm assuming that there's a possibility that we've got some fixes in this compared to the Golden Master. So if you install the Golden Master, then you should probably reinstall the new one. So in that case, maybe we won't see a .dot one or .dot one release.
2: Well, I, only time will tell. In fact, by the time we release this episode, uh, it's very possible that there could be a new version out. So <laughs> that wouldn't be surprising.
1: Okay, so that's the end of our drop in, and from now on is what we recorded last week, a week in advance, and we might say a couple of things suggesting that we didn't know that Catalina was out, but you know that this is trickery. Um, And things can be cut and pasted. So, onward. And in today's episode, we're going to walk through what people need to know about upgrading and installing uh, Catalina on their Macs and the kind of things to watch out for because there are a few caveats. But first, important announcement time. It is our two-year anniversary, episode 104. It's exciting, isn't it? We, We did this at episode 100, which was the round number, and it wasn't quite as exciting. But now it's actually two years. Um, that's right. Congrats. Yeah, the whole
2: fifty-two week thing. Yeah, funny
1: how that works out. But yeah, yeah congratulations. Why, why do we have fifty-two weeks anyway? But that's a question for another day. You you want to hear a really funny um little anecdote? For some reason, look it up on Google to find out why. But the official tax year in the United Kingdom runs from the fifth of April to the fourth of April. It doesn't start on the first of January. It doesn't start on the first of April. Um, when I moved huh. to the UK six years ago, I couldn't figure that out. But anyway. So let's start with how to prepare your Mac to upgrade to Catalina. Uh, I think the first thing is to make sure your Mac is compatible and lots of Macs are compatible. We'll have a link um, to an article on the Intego Mac security blog uh, giving information about this. The biggest issue for a lot of people is going to be software compatibility. And last year, when we were doing a similar episode about macOS Mojave, we were warning people about 32-bit apps and 64-bit apps and that they would have a problem because Apple had announced that 32-bit apps would no longer run, but they extended it another year. And now with Catalina, you're really out of luck if you have 32-bit apps.
2: Right. Yeah, so we we actually have a whole episode talking about basically what that means, 32-bit versus 64-bit apps. Um, But essentially, if you've got some apps that are older that haven't been updated for a long time, they just won't run anymore. There's... uh, certain legacy apps that some people use still, even though they've not been updated for many years. And uh, there are some kind of sort of ways to work around it, but it's very complicated uh, that involve things like setting up a Mojave operating system inside of your Catalina operating system using some
1: third-party software. Well, I think if you really depend on a 32-bit app, then what you should do is create a virtual machine with Parallels Desktop or VMware Fusion, Install Mojave and use the app on that. Uh, I have one of these Fujitsu Scan Snaps, and they're not updating their software to 64-bit. Now, I bought it seven years ago, so it's not that much of a problem. But it is a technology that still works fine, and it's really quite annoying. Um, I have a friend who does uh, who uses that quite a lot, and he's going to do the virtual machine thing, and I might actually do it for when I need to scan because I don't scan that often, and paying for a new scanner because the company doesn't want to update the software, that's a bit annoying.
2: Yeah, it does seem like, you know, that's, that's a, a lot of effort to go through just to run a couple of little apps. But, uh, but you know, that that is a way to get around this problem and still be able to move on and get all the latest and greatest features.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to stay up to date. And as we've mentioned many times, Apple updates the current and the previous operating system So if it's something you're going to use regularly, then you don't want to be more than a year out of date with that virtual machine. Um, But uh, there are people who are going to have other apps, maybe apps made for their company, uh, you know, specific apps that they've been using for years and and just don't want to change. And I can understand that. Uh, It does annoy me when developers don't update apps for something like this now. If it's a paid app, the developers are going to update it. But when it turns out that it's an app to control a scanner, which is pretty much the case for a lot of scanner apps, um, they figure you've paid already. You're not paying any more for the app. But still, it's not a very good attitude. Right. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things... that definitely can
2: be frustrating. A lot of businesses like you say if they're using proprietary software or something, you know, maybe they had somebody write a custom app for their business and uh they, you know, have lost touch with that developer. Um now they've got something that's years out of date and then they're going to be stuck, you know, either having to switch to something else or maybe stay on Mojave for a year or two while Apple's still releasing security updates, but uh you know, again, you miss
1: out on a lot of things when you do that. We're going to link to an article about preparing your Mac for the upgrade process. We cover a couple of things, cleaning out your Mac, getting rid of things you don't need, checking your drive to make sure it's okay, because you're going to be installing all this new software. And if you have any issues that could cause drive problems, you can just run disk utility and correct them, back up your Mac, and then back it up again, because you know this is really important. Um, and then you, you need to choose whether you're going to do a migration or a clean installation. Migration could be if you're moving from an old Mac to a new Mac, but it's similar when you're installing the operating system over what's already there. Uh, A lot of people like to do a clean installation, then they reinstall their apps, they move their files over. If you were to do this uh, to upgrade um, an operating system, what you need to do is you're going to clone your Mac as a backup, so you're going to have all your files, and then you'll copy the contents of your home folder back to your Mac, you reinstall your apps, I haven't done this in years because back in the day, uh, whether it was to a new Mac or a new operating system, there were often problems, files that didn't get copied correctly. Uh, But I haven't had this problem in years. Have you? No. You know, this is something it always is definitely a good idea to
2: uh, to back up your Mac before you do an upgrade. Um, Because you never know. I mean, there may be something that you totally didn't expect changed and that ruins your whole workflow and you need to take some time to kind of figure out a different way to go about it. And you might need to roll back in those kind of cases. Um, In other cases, you know, maybe you had some legacy thing installed that Apple didn't catch as an incompatible thing. And, uh, you know, maybe you end up with system problems after. That's pretty rare um, because Apple does uh know pretty well what's not what major kind of things that hook into the operating system are not going to be compatible. But yeah, that can happen too. And so it's just a good idea to have a backup just in case. So you have some way to roll back. And so the, and that is the, the first step in, in this whole process is backing up your Mac.
1: Right. The the thing about the clean install is that if you do try a lot of different apps, um, when you delete the apps, it doesn't delete all the files that are in the background. There can be files that are actually running as kernel extensions in the background. There's preference files and cache files and application support. And it's not a bad idea to get rid of some of that cruft. Um, It is time-consuming. The the last time I did it, I think it took pretty much a day. Uh, So I copied everything from my home folder except for my preferences folder because I wanted to start that over. Um, because there were preferences and other files from um, older apps. But then you have to download all your apps and enter serial numbers if they're not from the Mac App Store. If you are doing that, uh, you may, if you have apps that need to be activated, so you have a certain number of, of Macs you can use them on, it's best to deactivate them first before you reinstall them because sometimes that can uh, be a glitch and it'll count as like an additional install. It, it's time-consuming, but in some ways, it makes you rethink everything you're using. Do you really need all those apps you had previously? Or can you limit yourself to, I'm going to say, 50 apps, which you know probably most people only have about 50 apps, even if you count all the stuff that uh, Apple installs. Um, if I look at my applications folder, I've got 235 apps. A lot of that is things that I've installed to test and I've not gotten around to getting rid of. But things just pile up over time.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always, always a great opportunity when upgrading operating systems to take a look and see, you know, maybe I should actually just do a clean, clean install this time around, you
1: know, if it's been that long. Yeah, it's an interesting process because you really do have to rethink everything. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to decide what is worth. Let's say you've got three text editors, but you only use one of them. Do you need to download the other two? um let's say you've got all the microsoft office apps and you have an open powerpoint since 2004 do you need to still download powerpoint Uh, you'll probably have the disk space for it but it just saves time it makes your mac run more smoothly um and you have just more room for other types of files to put on it
2: yeah i was going to say that that's one of the nice things about doing a clean install is that you know when you're just restoring the files and apps that you need now You freed up a ton of disk space without really having to, you know, I mean, yes, it's a process, but uh, it's much easier than trying to figure out what to
1: remove from your drive. Yes, exactly. Um, and and over time, you kind of get frustrated and you say, OK, I don't want to do this anymore. So you just stop downloading and installing other apps until you realize that you never really needed them. You know, a couple months later... You might think, well, I didn't install that app, but I didn't need it anyway. One thing you can do is go to your applications folder and sort apps by date last opened. And then you'll see uh, how long it's been since you opened some of your apps. I mean, I've got some, I've got a couple dozen that I've never opened on this Mac. So this would be since Mojave. I'm on my iMac. It's not running um, Catalina yet, Um, but I've got apps that I apparently have never opened since I've installed this Mac.
2: Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that the last open doesn't show up uh, by default, but if you open your applications folder and you put it in uh, list view, for example, and then if you control click on any of the columns at the top there, then there's an option, Date Last Opened. And so when you click on that, it checks that off. And now you've got an additional column. If You, you may have to scroll to the right, depending on the size of your window. But uh, now you can sort by Date Last open, And so you can see there are probably some apps that you've never opened
1: on your Mac. You know, now that you mention that, I just found that I have uh, XcodeBeta.app. It's taking up 19 gigabytes. And at some point, I had to download a beta version of Xcode to be able to install a beta version of iOS, I think. And so that says it was modified on July 26th, but I downloaded another one and opened it on September 11th. So I've got 19 gigabytes there that I can delete immediately um, just because of Xcode. This is on a 500 gigabyte SSD. 19 gigabytes is a lot when you consider it. Yeah, that's true. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go into more details about what's new in Catalina. And we're also going to talk about potentially... Hackintoshing your old Mac.
0: If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997.
1: Visit Intigo.com today. Okay, so earlier we were talking about Catalina, we were talking about running Mojave, we were talking about um, maybe using a virtual machine, Um, but there's a topic that Josh really likes and it's making a Hackintosh or hackintoshing your old Mac. The reason you do this is that Apple officially supports Macs for a given operating system back to a certain model, and for each model, the year depends. Um, Josh has a 2007 iMac and he wants to run Catalina on it. In order to do this, you have to make it a Hackintosh. See the air quotes I did there? Which Mm -hmm. means you install some extra software that tricks macOS into thinking it's on a supported machine.
2: Right. Yeah, this is a really interesting idea because it sort of borrows concepts from, you know, the idea of Hackintoshing originally was you have a Windows PC and you want to run macOS on it. And the idea behind this is similar in concept, except you're taking an old and unsupported Intel Mac and running the latest version of Mac OS on it. Um, And essentially what they do um, in the background, uh, you, you run this utility to sort of reinstall some of the things that Apple has taken away to restore compatibility with some older hardware. And um, I've actually been through this process. I have a 2007 iMac that uh, I currently have running Mojave and will soon be upgrading to Catalina. Um, and uh, that's pretty darn cool. To be able to take a, a Mac that is that old, is 12
1: years old, is way, way beyond what Apple is yeah, that, supporting. That is very old. Um, personally, <laughs> I I wouldn't be... I wouldn't assume that's going to work very well, and I'm thinking more about the graphics cards because of the the advances they've made in graphics since then. But I would guess that macOS, if it has a graphics card that can't keep up, it just slows down or uses millions instead of billions of colors and fewer frames, Right. Well,
2: there are some Mac models where this doesn't really work very well. I actually also have a 2011 iMac that is really not a good candidate for upgrading to Catalina. It's just outside of the window where, you know, it's not going to be able to support Catalina officially and also because of the graphics card that it has built in, it's just not going to work with Catalina. But what's interesting is that some of these older models, uh, mostly 2008, 2009, they don't necessarily have a graphics card that, well, I mean, normally it would not at all be compatible with Catalina. But there are some things that the uh, Catalina Patcher app does that will work around the way that Catalina normally wants to have certain types of graphics cards. And so it'll make it possible to, without a bunch of visual glitches and annoying things, uh, to still be able to use Catalina on older systems. So um, there's an article on the Mac security blog where we talk about how to do this. Um, it does, it is a little complicated. So if you're used to just double clicking on an app to upgrade your operating system, uh, this
1: is a bit more involved than that. You're underestimating the amount of work. I tried this a few years ago and <laughs> I built a Hackintosh um, from part and it is a fair amount of work. It's probably easier if you already have a Mac, which already has hardware that's compatible um, from one element to the other um, but it is a complicated process. You need to be really comfortable with literally hacking your Mac.
2: Yeah, I will say this is a lot easier than than building a true PC to Mac Hackintosh. Um, just because you already have hardware that is you know, likely to be compatible, as long as it's on the list. And we'll, you know, that list is is in the article. But essentially, most Macs from like 2009 to earlier, there's even some 2008 models. And the one model that's 2007, I happen to have that iMac. And that one required a processor upgrade. So that was really not a trivial upgrade.
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you bought a new processor on eBay and you installed it. So that's right. Yeah, that's serious work. That's not something I could do. Okay, so in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about some of the features in macOS Catalina. But today, we want to talk about uh, what has changed in iTunes. You remember iTunes, right? iTunes has been around since 2001. And all of a sudden, with Catalina, um, Apple has removed a whole bunch of features from iTunes. And they've split the app into four. There's an app called Music, which I guess you can figure out handles your music. The podcast app handles podcasts. TV does movies and TV shows, plus any um, videos that you rip or that you shoot yourself like on a camcorder and want to add to the library. And the Books app holds eBooks and audiobooks. There was previously a Books app since I think um, 10.9. It's been a long time, uh, but that was only for eBooks. So all of iTunes functions have been split across into four apps. And well, this is something I write about a lot, and I've always disagreed with people who think that iTunes is bloated. I'm curious to see how people react to the new system with four different apps instead of one app.
2: Well, not only that, but if you want to do you know syncing between your iOS or iPadOS device and your Mac,
1: now that's built into the Finder, which makes the Finder more bloated. Right. So the Finder is more bloated. So that's five different apps you're actually using. I'm not convinced that it's a solution. I think the whole iTunes bloat thing came about mostly from Windows users because they had to download not just the iTunes app, but also some QuickTime stuff. And Apple does update its software fairly regularly, so they would have to download this often. I remember people complaining, oh, I've got to download 200 megabytes of iTunes stuff.
2: Yeah, And and as you like to point out, by the way, iTunes is sticking around on Windows. So if you currently have an iPhone that you're syncing with your Windows PC, guess what? You're still using iTunes for that for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, Apple hasn't said what they're going to do. I can't imagine that they would split up into four apps on Windows because that seems like it would complicate things just the way Windows apps work. Um, because remember, all these apps are basically front ends for frameworks that are built into the operating system on the Mac. I'm not sure that they can do the same thing on Windows. What, when when this was announced, there were all sorts of articles, and even on the TV news I saw on the BBC news, people saying this is the end of iTunes. The iTunes Store is going away. The iTunes Store is not going away. It is still in the music app called the iTunes Store. Surprise. Um, they don't use that same term for... The books app or for the tv app but it's the sort of umbrella term for everything for all the content you buy from itunes it's non-app store content
2: yeah it is sort of puzzling that they still call it the itunes store even though there are things that are not music related in there of course i mean and i'm not just talking about audio books
1: well they cur- currently uh pre-catalina you can get movies and tv shows and audiobooks uh, ebooks have been spun off you get podcasts from the itunes store They killed off iTunes U and rolled that into podcast. If you remember, that was another part of iTunes until a couple years ago. But I would argue that iTunes is one of the world's most recognizable brands. And killing off the brand would really just be a waste of goodwill. Everyone knows iTunes. Well, not everyone, but anyone who uses a computer has certainly heard of iTunes. Um, Uh People will talk about buying music from iTunes rather than the iTunes store because it's in the app iTunes. You're not a big iTunes user, are you? You don't have a big music library? Um, Not music library.
2: Actually, the thing that I use iTunes for the most is as essentially a media server. So I've got one of my Macs set up with uh, the iTunes app just open all the time. And I've got a whole bunch of uh, video files that are in my iTunes library. And then I stream to my Apple TV downstairs from, from from that iMac.
1: Right. So that uses a feature called home sharing, and home sharing is now in system preferences, in the sharing pane of system preferences. It's called media sharing. Um, So what you can do uh, with iTunes is you can share any of the content. Uh, As you say, you could have your Apple TV look at your iTunes library, or you could have another Mac or even another PC running Windows. It could load that library. So let's say you're running that as a media server And in one room, you've got a MacBook Pro connected to a stereo and you can open the remote iTunes library and control it as if it was on that MacBook Pro. Um, So that still exists. It's just home sharing is a system wide uh, setting now rather than a in-app setting, which kind of makes sense. Um, Yeah, I like that a lot better, honestly, because it's sort of a pain
2: to always have to launch iTunes. And then if something stops working, you know, oh, you have to go check that Mac. Is iTunes open? What happened?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so this works without the the apps running. Um, This is obviously just for music and TV content, um, but you don't need to have the apps running. So it's the OS that's scanning the location where those files are stored. Well, it's actually scanning the library files um, that these apps use. And that is an improvement because back in the day, the early Apple TV, when I was doing it that way, it's true that sometimes iTunes would crash or freeze and your video would stop and you'd have to reset and everything. So I have a big music library and there are a lot of changes and we won't go into too much detail here. And I'll link to my website, Kirkfield, where I've written a number of things about the changes. Um, They've removed a lot in the music app. It's much simplified. They've removed uh, a tool called the column browser, which is the main way that I navigate and choose my content, and that made me a little bit sad. Um, But overall, it's a simpler app, and for people who only listen to music and don't do anything with videos or podcasts or audiobooks, uh, I think they'll find it a little bit more comfortable. It's interesting because two of the apps look the same and two of the apps don't look the same. So if you look at the podcast app and the music app, they both have a play header up at the top, um, but the TV app doesn't have anything like that. And the, the Books app, when you play an audio book, the, the play controls are at the bottom of the sidebar. So there's not a lot of consistency across the apps. This is just one of the big changes that we're going to have to deal with under Catalina. In, in some ways, it's surprising that it's taken them so long. Um, but a lot of this, I think, depended on everything getting built up in iOS. Because now what we have, we have the four apps that mirror the iOS apps. They didn't want to do that on the desktop until iOS was prepared for it. Uh, We will link to an article on the Intego Mac security blog, which is called How to Manage Media Files with Apple's New Music, TV, Podcasts, and Books apps. And I do note a couple of caveats here. Podcasts and books are stored in the library folder inside your home folder. Now, what this means is if you have a large media library and you've been storing it on an external drive, um, you can still do that for music and videos in the music and TV apps, but you can't do that for podcasts and books. I've got about 20 gigabytes of audiobooks, and that's only the books that I keep in my library. I get audiobooks from Audible. I've been a member for years. It would probably be 100 gigabytes if I downloaded everything. Now, if I want to keep all those 20 gigabytes in my library of the books app, they're going to be in my library folder, whereas currently all my media is on an external drive. Um, So for a lot of people, this could be a problem in terms of disk space. Not many people keep an archive of podcasts, but I do know some who do. For instance, I keep every episode of the Intego Max Security podcast, and all the other podcasts that I'm on, I keep uh, archives of them. And that's lots of gigabytes, and they're going into the library folder too. So I do explain some of this in the article on the uh, IntegroMac security blog. And if you do have a big media library, you should certainly check this out. Okay, one more tidbit. And this is something that Josh pointed out before the show. And he had never heard of this, but I had. And I find this kind of interesting. So Josh, why don't you tell us what you discovered about AirPods?
2: Okay. Well, uh, someone tipped me off to this interesting way that you can spy on people using your iPhone and AirPods. That's how this was presented to me. And this is actually a feature that's built into iOS. This starts out from the control center. And the control center is this thing where you can either swipe up or down depending on what iPhone model you have. And then you get this screen with a bunch of controls. So you can adjust the volume. There's a slider for the brightness and things like that. Well, at the very bottom of that, you've got, by default, things like a flashlight. One of the buttons that you can add there to your control center is something called Live Listen. And what that does is if you're using AirPods or PowerBeats Pro headphones, you can uh, turn on Live Listen leave your phone somewhere where you want to be able to listen in. And then as long as you're within Bluetooth range, you can walk away with your headphones on, your uh, AirPods or Powerbeats Pro, and you can listen in to whatever is going on next to your phone.
1: So Okay, so Bluetooth range is 10 meters or 30 feet. Um, but if there's walls between, you can't get too far. But remember, you're leaving your phone behind. So it's not really spying in the way that you say it's not a Tom Cruise thing to leave your phone behind. Well, that could be, you forget your phone in someone's hotel room.
2: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you could, um, you could be surreptitious about how you're leaving your phone in a room. So someone might not notice that there's a phone sitting out. And honestly, I mean, People leave phones around all the time, and it's not something that would be terribly shocking or surprising to see a phone lying on a table. But you may not realize that if you see a phone next to you, it's quite
1: possible that someone could be listening into your conversation. So, Okay, it's important it's, to point out that this is not a feature designed for spying. Um, the idea is basically that your AirPods can act as sort of hearing aids. Um, if you're in a place where... People are speaking not very loudly or it's a noisy area. Um, Let's say you're sitting in a restaurant with a lot of people and you're at an important meeting and your hearing isn't great and you've got all this ambient sound. If you put your AirPods on and you put the iPhone in a way that the person you're speaking to is closer to the iPhone, you'll be able to amplify it using the volume controls uh, in your AirPods. Now, the extension of this is to use it, for an example, as a baby monitor. And you tried that yesterday, didn't you?
2: Yeah, exactly. I did something similar to that. Um, and, uh, it did work, but again, I was, of course, within range and it makes sense that, uh, you know, that's the way Bluetooth works. So you can't get too much farther away from that. But um and of course, as you say, this is all something that is Apple doesn't build this in w- with the idea that people are going to use this to spy on other people. Um, in fact, in the article where Apple details how to do this, how to set this up, they also explain they have a link to made for iPhone hearing aids. And they say that this feature can also be used with. Uh, hearing aids that are designed to work with iPhones as well. So this is not something with the intention of being a spying feature, but it is something that can be used that way. And so I thought it was worth pointing out, uh, you know, for for the paranoid people, if you happen to see an iPhone sitting on a table next to you and you're having a private conversation, maybe think twice because
1: that screen, even if it's off,
2: someone could be listening into you nearby.
1: But if your hearing isn't that great, it's a pretty nifty feature without having to get special hearing aids. Um, You can just boost the sound just a little bit when you need to, and I think that's a good idea. Absolutely. Okay, um, starting next week, we're going to have some more information about how to use certain features in macOS Catalina. Um, Until then, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast. The Voice of Mac Security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com.